It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling And everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year. This is the Five Court Play Podcast, the diehard Duke basketball fans podcast, brought to you by the Duke Blue Brotherhood Forums. The message boards, and you know this, the message boards have been rocking, even though we've been off for a couple weeks. Much like the Duke team had been off for a couple weeks. But AC, I want to ask you a quick question here. Have you noticed that your boy Jack has been breaking news left and right on Twitter? <laughs> He's the new bomb, man. <laughs> like, right. man. He's breaking news about, you know, it was a wild 72 hours, Jack, where Duke was originally going to play Cleveland State, then they were going to play Loyola Maryland. I don't know who the hell he played after was Elon. So like, there were so many different uh, you know, teams that were in the roster for 72 hours. Uh, and Jack, you're breaking news like, oh, well, we're not playing Cleveland State. Oh, we're not playing Warola. Like, when did you become Wunsch? I got to thank you guys for that one. I got the scoop from uh, from you two. Um, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I got a couple other sources inside inside the uh, inside the Duke basketball world, but no, nah, it's it's uh, I'm not I'm not Woj so yet. Okay, I got you. But you're close. You're like I'll junior Woj. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there. I got to get my degree okay. first. All right. That's what's up. Uh, and then, Jack, I wanted to follow up with you. Um, so there was another big game yesterday. Um, I guess it wasn't that big in hindsight. Uh, <laughs> AC's boy, Armando Bacon, he actually played really well, but, they got, boop, uh, but they, get, they got beat by 30 against a team that we destroyed. I don't know if you guys saw my story on Instagram, a little screenshot of the final <laughs> scores. <laughs> what is it? Let's see. Twenty-nine. What's 29 plus 8? It's 30. It's 37. Duke is 37 <laughs> points better than Carolina through the transitive property of Kentucky. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not even counting Elon. It's not even counting Elon. How they struggled with Elon. We beat Elon by how much? Them. And they beat Elon by seventeen. And this is the right. where's no. Joe Barry at? I need to know. The best team in the ACC. KJ Smith. KJ Smith isn't even saying that. And that man is such a homer. Get him. Uh, so AC, look, uh, Armando Baycott, huge game, eight of thirteen, six of nine from the line, ten rebounds, twenty-two points. I mean, the guy's an All-American, right? <laughs> All-American ugly, motherfucker. That dude is horrendous. <laughs> I hate that guy. <laughs> Welcome to the roast of North Carolina basketball. I mean, honestly, I mean, we have you know, a few topics lined up, but I, I, I'm, I'm just as fine uh, talking about this team <laughs> yeah. today. Um, all right, so we, we obviously have taken a couple weeks off. Uh, let's start on a low note here. We want to recap the games we played since we last touched base. The Ohio State game, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, and I don't want to be the guy that is blaming the refs, but AC talked me off the ledge with the refs. Uh, I mean, it, it was ugly. It was ugly. I, all night long, like, I was I was on Twitter just just dogging the refs. I had to stop at one point because I was like, I feel like a UNC fan or something right. complaining about the refs so much. But it was, I mean, it it was clearly, there, there was an agenda. I'm not saying it's an agenda against the, the agenda was – they're going to control the game in a way that was almost uncontrolled. It was, it was weird that there were so many whistles yet. The game was so still so oddly physical. And I was like, I don't know how it can be this physical yet. The foul disparity is as crazy as it was at one point. I, I, it, it was ugly and we didn't handle that well. And so that was, that's a, right. that's a learning moment for our team. We didn't handle how the game was being called. We didn't handle it being disjointed. 
up until that point, this team had been playing games where the flow was, you know, there was a good flow for most of the games. Even the Gonzaga game where we thought the refs might have been an issue, you know, there's they had some some bonehead mistakes in that game for sure. The referees did, but for the most part, that game had a flow. Like this game had zero flow, and our team did not respond. Yeah, yeah, you know, Jack, I thought that's uh, that's right. Where you know, I, I don't, I don't ever want to be that fan where you know you're blaming the refs because you know we we had our own, we had a lot of issues in that second half. But you know, to AC's point, you know, the flow was disjointed after you can't really get into a rhythm when you have no idea of the way the game's going to be called and when the, the calls are so inconsistent. You can't actually, and then it's just kind of like it snowballed after that. For sure. I mean, it felt like to me the rest were calling a ticky tack tap, ticky tack foul like one second, and then the next second they're just letting them play through much, much more egregious contact. Duke had five guys with four or more fouls. Theo John fouling out in 15 minutes. The, right. uh, mm-hmm. And that was our first foul out of the season, I, right? I believe so, yeah. Might be our only. I, I don't think anyone's fouled out since. I don't yeah. think anyone fouled out before, but. Yep. It's it's ridiculous. Um, just I'm just gonna say this though: when you score one point in the last five minutes of a game, you're not gonna win if it's a competitive mm-hmm. game, and right. that's what happened. Honestly, like the shooting fell off. We scored 23 points in the second half. They scored 41. Ohio State deserved that win through and through at the end of the day because you are not going to win when you score one point in the final five minutes. So, yeah, did the yeah, rest I mean- have an impact? Maybe, but Duke needed to get the ball in the hoop, and they just they didn't make a field goal for six minutes. I think. Yeah, and I mean, and that's true. But you know, so two weeks go by. You know, I think it was a bit two weeks AC for 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 them to have a little bit of break, and we kind of wanted to see. Okay, let's reset it a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, it might be a blessing in disguise that you lose that game in in kind of really bad fashion, where it's, it's you know the, the first seven or so games of the year uh, we. We played so well. We played well in transition. We, our defense was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were knocking down shots, hitting our free throws, you know, kind of doing all those sorts of things. And then, you know, that Ohio State thing happened. It kind of sent us back a little bit, and that's a good thing, in my opinion, because we needed these three games. What did you want to see, you know, after the layoff from Duke after that game? I mean, first thing I wanted to see, the rest of Duke Nation wanted to see it, was A.J. Griffin. But more specifically, I wanted to see A.J. Griffin play with Paolo. I wanted up until this up until the South Carolina State game, I looked I, I painstakingly went back and looked at the game logs from goduke.com to see the minute by minute when people sub in and everything else like that. And it was confirmed what we all felt, which was AJ had only played with Paulo for seven minutes the entire season. Jalen Blake's played more than played with Paulo more than AJ, I think by triple. I want to say Jalen Blake's played for like 20 minutes. So it was triple what AJ played with Paulo all season. Now, to me, that was unacceptable. And finally, this week, we saw it, and we saw the offensive efficiency go up. We saw AJ's confidence go up. It was like a totally different team. Yeah, and, and so, Jack, you were kind of talking about the fact that we only had, what, 23 points against Ohio State in the second half. In these three games, South Carolina State, App State, Elon, this is a team that is putting up 50-plus points a half. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, we're one of the best offensive teams in the nation. Um, what did you like about the way our offense kind of changed after that two-week layoff. They were aggressive, and they weren't settling for long jumpers. Um, obviously, yeah, the threes were falling. Just against App State, Wendell Moore hit the same amount of threes in that game that he hit his entire freshman season, um, which I guess speaks to his <laughs> development more than anything. Yeah. So, <laughs> yep. He was 4 for 19 his freshman year. He was 4 for 4 against App State, mm-hmm. but um, that, mm-hmm. that speaks to his development more than anything. But the fact of the matter is Duke was not settling for bad three-point shots. 
they were they shot 50% against App State from deep, but they shot 57% from the field total. This team was taking it to the hoop. Even last night against Elon, they were taking it to the hoop. The team struggled a little bit from deep in the in the game against Elon, but they scored a crap ton of points because they were taking it inside, not settling for bad looks, and just taking the efficient inside shot because the outside shots weren't falling as consistently. Yeah, so three easy wins for Duke, uh, AC. But mm-hmm. can we talk about Paulo Goldwire? Or sorry, Paulo Dettel. <laughs> what is up? What is up with your boy taking off way too far out and missing breakaway dogs? Is this is this not a problem? I don't, I, I won't look at it as a now a problem. It happened twice in a row, so <laughs> I guess that's enough. That that's significant enough data for for most fans. But not, I don't think it's a problem. I do think the biggest problem is he's out of sync. Yeah, he's completely out of sync. I don't know if it has to do with him pulling the reins back a little bit and allowing the rest of the team to play more on offense. Cause that's, I mean, there were very few sets for a run for Paulo and it looked like he was just trying to be a player who was trying to fit in. Like he didn't, he wasn't lazy because he still played well on defense. He's, he's, he's one of our better defenders. I just want to point that yeah. out again, that Paulo is one of our better defenders on the team. He's, he stayed in it on defense, was very engaged on defense, but on offense, it was like, he was just kind of going through the motions and it really did look like, the instructions have been the past couple of weeks. You are not the focal point of the offense right now. We need the rest of the team to get get it together. And he played like somebody who was told that. So moving forward into the ACC season, I would love to see him with the opportunities that he gets to be more aggressive, to be more assertive with those opportunities, and then still be able to to play focused on that that end of the floor because this week he wasn't. Can you can you expand on that uh, when you talk about you know you, you feel like the coaching staff kind of was like okay you're not you're not the focal point kind of expand on that once you're talking about obviously you know we could talk about Wendell Moore and what he means to this team we've mm-hmm. done that do you mean that they're trying to kind of integrate other guys in because I remember you know in earlier podcast uh, you know I kind of brought up the fact that I don't want this to be a power watching season. Mm-hmm. Do you think it might be yep. some, something along those lines? Absolutely. I think I think you hit the nail on the head with that when you were talking about that before. And I I I've, I've always thought that this team was going to be better than that because the RJ Zion team, where we kind of mentioned that before, that team didn't have the offensive pieces around those two, especially with Cam Reddish not hitting consistently around those two to be a good offensive team besides those two guys. You had the same issue with the JJ Reddick teams, especially that last his senior season where it was basically him and Sheldon and no one else on the team could score for you. And so I, I think Kay recognizes that with this team and saw it with those first yeah. few games where there were stretches against Gonzaga. There were stretches against uh, against Ohio State. There were stretches early on against Kentucky. There were even stretches in some of our, our non-conference games like the Citadel where, you know, Apollo went nuts, where the team is just watching him. And Kay said in the press conference that one of the things this team does not do well right now is move off the ball. And we've said the same thing. Other fans have said the same thing. So I think this is to address that. Yeah, I agree. And so kind of switching gears a little bit, Jack, you know, coming into these three games, you know, uh, you know, some of the things that we kind of all wanted to see, you know, not just, just us here, but like all do fans was kind of watch, you know, Trevor Keels get back into a rhythm. Same thing with Jeremy Roach, um, try to get AJ more involved and just kind of like trying to get these other guys involved in those three games. Did you see that come to fruition? I mean, yeah, I don't really think there's even much to say about that. Those guys had yeah. an incredible week, three games in five days, and the three of them were able to play at a pretty consistently high level throughout. That two-week break really did wonders for the team, and I, I'm really – those three specifically are the guys I'm most impressed with coming out of this week. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And we're going to get into our stocks in a minute, but I, I'd be remiss if we can't talk about Wendell Moore. AC, this guy is the most improved player in the country by far. Most improved, probably right now on at least most lists as the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. If it's not him, it's Trevor Keels. And then you're going to add in, he's in the conversation for Player oh, of the Year. Yeah, yeah. And he's ahead of Paolo right now. Yeah, the conference international, because he could be either. Right, exactly. Both. Jack, I agree. Like, I th- th- you know, yeah. whether you want Both. to talk about him being, I don't think that he's there for National Player of the Year right now. Uh, but, I mean, obviously in the ACC, which is down, you know, that's not enough to Wendell because he's having a phenomenal year. But the numbers that he's putting up, 17 points a game, five and, five and a half rebounds, five assists. He's shooting almost 60% from the field. His three-pointers are up now. It, it, it's just something that, I, you know, Coach K always talks about running mm-hmm. your own race. And it's just happy. I'm, I'm just happy for Wendell because – you know, we kept talking about it. It was a running joke. Summer Wendell versus, you mm-hmm. know, playing Wendell. You yeah. know what I mean? AC is like one of those things with him. He looks like a complete and utterly different player out there on the floor right now. He does everything. Yeah, I mean, it, he does. He's, 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 he is the Swiss Army knife this team desperately needs. He facilitates the offense. He knows the offense better than anyone. He's been it for three years now. So now things are clicking for him. And let's not forget, he just turned, what, he just turned 20 years old, right? As a junior. So... He his the youth now like all that all those things are catching up and and now he is just able to play comfortably. Yeah, I mean, other than his free throw percentage, which I'd like to see come up a little bit because he was always consistently an eighty plus percent free throw shooter, and right now he's kind of hovering around sixty nine seventy percent. Um, other than that, I can't knock him on anything, Jack. He's putting up numbers that compare, actually, funny enough, down to the free throw percentage to Grant Hill's senior year. Grant Hill's senior year, he averaged mm-hmm. 17, seven rebounds just about, and five assists. Wendell shooting better from the field. Grant and Wendell both around 70% of the line. It's incredible. Like, if you told me last year that Wendell Moore would be putting up a stat line similar to Grant Hill, even at this point in the season, just yeah. through the non-conference slate, right. I would tell you you're right. out of your mind. <laughs> well, remember, we brought that up during one of the stock market things. We were talking about Carewell. Like, we... Yeah, uh, Sean Miller on Jeff Goodman's podcast brought up Wendell compared him to Chris Carwell, and we stopped. And it was, I was like, "Are we in the realm now of talking about Wendell with Grant Hill, especially Grant Hill's senior season?" And now I'm like, "I'm, I'm glad that the numbers continue to to reflect that." All I'm gonna say is who who said that Wendell was gonna play like Grant Hill this year during our uh, season preview? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there he is. And to be honest with you, I was the guy that was like, "Oh come on, now you guys getting crazy." But you know, the, you know what you say, like the bold and why, like he's playing so poised, so well. And you, know, you go back to that Gonzaga game, that second half where Paul was out with, you know, you know his IV mm-hmm. situation. Uh, it's Wendell mm-hmm. that carried us. And if, if you have a guy like that, and and kind of touching back to, you know, not Paul watching anymore, we're yep. we're past that now. Yeah. You know, because Wendell kind of Wendell controls the entire mm-hmm. game. He does. He does. He controls the game. He and Trevor both. Even Jeremy. I mean, we. It's again. This is what this is what we continue to talk about. The the one true point guard is dead. I know everybody wants it. The one true point guard is gone, especially for this team. This team is has dispelled that rumor. It's it's all over. Like we have four guys who can facilitate this offense, but the one who leads the offense, the one who tells everybody where to go, the one who's pointing things out, and, you know, Wendell Moore, man. He's he's been in it in it long enough. He's the one who's vocal. He's a leader, man. He's a born leader. I love watching him do this. 
All right, so let's shoehorn over to our stock market. We, we, we have been trusted with people's money and how to invest. <laughs> Jack, you saw it on Twitter, you saw it on Instagram, you saw it all over social media that Jeremy Roach is unplayable. Is that, is that true? It's a steaming pile of crap. <laughs> I, I, honest, I honestly, like, so, so to, to give a little perspective here, you know, obviously Jack, myself, and AC text chain during the games. AC sends out this Twitter uh, from a guy that, you know, AC, I don't know how many followers he has, been a lot. He's a prominent mm-hmm. member of Duke Twitter. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's insane. Like, Duke Twitter, perfect way to describe it. So, this guy comes in halfway through, which game was it? The South Carolina State? Like, uh, top, Appalachian State. Game. Oh, the App State. Okay, the App State game. Talking about how Jeremy Roach is unplayable, and this is the stock market segment, so we won't get to this, but I have to get a couple things off my chest. What fucking game are you watching? <laughs> I mean, are you fucking kidding me? What game are you watching where you're telling me this guy's unplayable? And I'm pretty sure once he said that, like, he hit a couple threes, a couple steals. Like, and he, like, what are these people watching? Please educate them. And look, look, I'll, I'll out of respect, because he's a friend of the podcast and everything else, I won't drop any names because he actually deleted the tweet, came back later. He deleted the tweet. tweet. He deleted the tweet. I'm sorry. I can't do this. Stuff just pisses me off, and I have to let it go. Yeah, like, yeah, what, sure. what are we doing here? It's it's we've been we've been blessed. It's been an embarrassment of riches for Duke with point guards and with, throughout the history of Duke, even before Coach K. We have we have always had a good point guard on this team because point guards ruled the world. Like it's like the quarterback. Everybody always compared the point, point point guard to the quarterback, the guy who runs the team, the guy who sets all the offensive playmakers up, all that type of thing. That's what the point guard does, and that's correct. However, as a as a fan base, as fans of basketball, we got to take a step back and look and see where the game of basketball is headed. And that is over. Like that whole thing of the John Stockton's and all those guys, it's, it's over. You, you have to have facilitators all over the floor because you don't want teams to key on people, all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so that's, we're all kind of stuck in this mode, mode of Jeremy doesn't get six assists a game. He's he's not bringing the ball up the floor every single play, all this other stuff. And and I think fans see that and they're like he's useless because uh, other than you know other than him being a point guard at six feet tall, he what's the point of him, right? But he's not useless. Like look at the things he does on the floor. He rebounds out of position. He plays excellent on ball defense. But his the backdoor cut defense for this team has been amazing this season. But especially considering we play extended defense, we're not getting beat backdoor. Like that was one of the things people brought up. Oh, he gets beat backdoor. He's been beat backdoor a couple of times, maybe once or twice a game, and then it's fixed. Like this kid is a winner. Look at this. All you have to do is look at the Gonzaga game. Had a horrific game. Could have very easily taken himself out of the game, shut himself down. K could have sat him. All the other things. What does he do at the end of that game? He hits two of the biggest shots of the game to put us over the top to make sure that game is over for us. He's a winner. He was a winner at Paul to Six. He's a winner at Duke. We told you exactly what to look for with him. Chris Duhon, sophomore year, he is going to follow the same arc as Duhon. He's just, it's not the same system. He's not the sole facilitator. So he's not going to have the assist numbers Duhon did and everything else. But five steals against South Carolina State. He shot over 50% from three throughout this entire week. Like the kid is a baller, man. Yeah, so I'm butchering the name, uh, Al Monsi or whatever the hell his name was for App mm-hmm. State. He had 17 points in the first, basically like 12 minutes of the first half. Yep. What does Coach K do, uh, Jack? He puts Jeremy Roach on him, and he doesn't fucking score another point in the rest of the game. Yeah, uh, so Jeremy Roach, Jeremy Roach is not Trey Jones. Jeremy Roach is not Jay Williams. Jeremy Roach is not Tyus Jones. He's not Quinn Cook. Jeremy Roach is Jeremy Roach. 
Jeremy mm-hmm. Roach is a good defender. He's shooting 36% from three this year. And he mm-hmm. is, well, he, yeah, he's not the true point guard because there is no true point guard on this team. He is a, he's able to score effectively. He is getting assists. He is playing great defense. Him and Keels yep. and Moore have been an incredible backcourt defense as a, as the as a trio, excuse me. And I am mm-hmm. I am incredibly impressed with Roach. He might not be putting up the numbers, but basketball well, impact hit- isn't measured by numbers all the time. Can't be. Yeah. I agree, and like, you know, you talk about the numbers, his numbers are all off other than field goal percentage, which, you know, you'd like to see that get up a little bit more. Um, other than that, though, all of his numbers are off, and his turnovers are down. He's playing phenomenal defense, and AC, real quick, if, if people haven't figured it out right now, we're telling you to fucking buy Jeremy Roach stock, okay? Yes. Uh, this guy is the most trusted player that Coach K has outside of Wendell Moore. He plays mm-hmm. more minutes than anybody on the team. Yep, plays the most minutes on the team, and that's not a function of there's nobody to sub out his position. That is a function of his importance on this team. And people are calling for now, because AJ is starting to round in the shape, people are calling for, oh, now AJ needs to start. Let's kick Jeremy out of the starting lineup. So, I mean, Can you imagine stop. what that's going to do to just the morale stop. of this team? Yeah. yeah, like, the team has a morale that's already built. They love Jeremy Roach. He is he is one of the leaders. He is almost, almost guaranteed to be a captain next season. And... and the squad loves him to death and him and Trevor together. Like they, they just feed off that Paul to six, like this, you know, that, that PG County mentality. I know Jeremy's not PG County, but just that, you know, that mentality and everything that they carry from coming up here. And, and the team feeds off of it. They love Jeremy, man. Like this is not a problem. Like the fans are the ones that have the issue with him. And and that needs to, that needs to. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's funny that, you know, we could do so many different segments uh, and, and just talk all day about it. You know, it's one of those things where they fall in love with the wrong guy. And you don't realize what you have in front of you and how, you know, impactful he is to the team and how much, like you said, the team appreciates what he is. And you know, he is playing exactly the way we thought he would play this year. And mm-hmm. and to be honest with you, he might be even playing a little bit better. So pump the fucking yeah. breaks, buy Jeremy Roachstock. And and let's not forget, like just about a month ago, there was a poll out on Duke Twitter of who would you would you oh rather have God, Jordan Goldwire back one more year or Jeremy Roach? And I was like, wait, what? Like, Jingle could on, not man. play PG, on, and man. that was obvious. You need you yeah. need a guy like Roach. Also, yeah. I just want to add, last night this isn't again this stat shouldn't be a tell all, but when Duke when Roach was on the floor, Duke was plus thirty one last night. So. Yeah. No one else had yeah. one above 25, it's, plus minus above 25. No. So, yeah, so I, mean, I think that the fans got to pump the brakes a little bit and understand what we have, but we can talk about that all day. Let's get to our next guy, Jack. Mark Williams, your boy Chris Patola. What did he talk about yesterday? He said Mark needs to be a better player, more consistent player, and I think at one point he called him a junior and said they have to look after an amazing freshman and sophomore season. His junior year has been really down, uh, which is incorrect. He he's a sophomore, and his he's already improved on almost all of his stats. He has accumulated more of them than he did all of last season, which is amazing. But that aside, Mark Williams isn't a consistent offensive weapon because he's like our number four, number five option. People need to remember how loaded this Duke team is, and that that is why Mark is not putting up the numbers people expected him to. That's what you need to think about. Yeah, I, I think that one issue, if, if you're talking about Mark, though, uh, AC, and I want to hear your, your thoughts on this. Rebounding-wise, he's much lower than I thought. He's only averaging just under six rebounds a game. I think his 
uh, he's he's leaning too much on his length and athleticism uh, rather than you know doing the dirty work in terms of, of of grabbing rebounds. What have you seen? Yeah, I think that's pretty that's pretty accurate. I think, and and we talked about it to begin the season again. We talked we we tried to give you guys a spoiler alert. We said that let's yeah yes he ended the season where he got basically a twenty and twenty game. Let's not let that dictate what we think is going to happen statistically for Mark Williams this season, because we're, we're very worried about Duke fans turning on him. And it almost happened after that Kentucky game, they were already ready to be like, here we go. Mark's (laughs) busting out again, but you know, he got it together and he's put, put together some nice games or whatever, but the way this team plays defense, the extended man to man defense that we're playing, the way we're switching and everything else, his rebound numbers aren't going to be exactly what we wanted them to be. And don't let's not forget he's also sharing the rebounding load with Theo John, with uh, Paulo Boncaro, and with some of the guards. The way that that Wendell and Trevor and even Jeremy at times are rebounding the ball. So it's it's not totally a function of you know we need to figure out something different to do with Mark. On top of he's only playing about twenty minutes a game, so right. I'm, I'm not concerned about the rebounding numbers. His rebounding efficiency rate is actually very high, but. In terms of the overall number, yeah, it's it's not where we expect a seven foot one with seven seven wingspan guy to be. But again, it's just a function of the type of game we're playing and the defense we're playing, and then you can see that reflected in the fact that he's now doubled his blocks on on the season versus last season. So I'm I'm not concerned. I, I honestly think that this team. But, but it's not, my question is more: Do you see it more of like he's not doing the dirty work in terms of like boxing out and and things like that? Because I, I you know. Yes, he's only playing nineteen point mm-hmm. seven minutes a game, but six just under six rebounds is not good enough. Right, and and rebounding position wise, I think you're right. I think rebounding position, he still struggles with that slightly. I think if he took a more traditional approach to getting his butt on the player and all the other things, I think he'd get he'd get three more rebounds a game. Yeah. But that how active he is and the way he's moving along the baseline and block the block and some of the other things he's doing. I'm I'm willing to sacrifice those rebounds just because of what he brings on that defensive end like that. And and let's let the rest of the team catch up and be become better better rebounders. Yeah, fair enough. And so Jack, if you're if you're giving, you know, stock tips right now, what do you do with Mark Williams? Mark is getting a little low, but I think it's still time to buy. This guy is here's something you you haven't uh that most people haven't thought about. Mark Williams has 5 turnovers this season. <laughs> 5. <laughs> 5. <laughs> How many? <laughs> five. <laughs> this man has five turnovers this season. He is not a net negative on the court. He's playing less than 20 minutes per game, and he's averaging nine points and six rebounds. Put that out to a 40-minute stretch, which he's probably going to get a lot of like high-minute high situations in ACC play, which we're just now getting into. He's going to have some really good games. Per 40, the man's averaging like 18 points, 12 rebounds, and like one turnover, two assists, six blocks. It's a lot of blocks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you, yeah. This, people are overreacting. He's just not getting the play time yet. And honestly, with Theo John, he might not get more than 30 minutes in a game. He hasn't even hit that 30-minute yeah. mark once this season. And I don't think, which and I don't think he's good. Yeah, I don't think he should either. I don't think he should. Yeah. But you know what? He's going to be really good ACC play. He's going to go nowhere but up. And I am excited to see it. I, I would be buying Mark Williams stock mm-hmm. right now. AC, you doing the same? Absolutely. I'm buy, buying Mark stock and... He just like everybody else on this team, he's gonna be one of the reasons why we cut down the nets in, in March. Like he is just or April. He's he's just he's too good. There's no one else on in in the NCAA who has 
a, a player like Mark Williams. And we saw we saw against Gonzaga exactly what a good Mark Williams does for our team. Makes us unbeatable. And one thing that we did not see against Gonzaga was the emergence in the last three games of a guy that shoots 46% from three, A.J. Griffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack, you know, we, we predicted on this podcast, obviously, that end of January, early February, you're going to see A.J. Are we a little bit uh, spoiled here with the last three games, or are we sticking with that? I mean, he only had five points last night. Right. However, he played 20 minutes, which is awesome. He played 19 against App State. He played 21 against South Carolina State, and he missed one shot in those 21 minutes of the eight he took. I think he's he's getting there. Obviously, you see the potential. But I don't think – I mean, you look, Ohio State, he only played two minutes. Gonzaga, he played six. Yep. So I think once, uh, once Duke gets into that higher-level competition, he's going to be eased in a little less than he was this past week. This was a confidence-building week for sure, which we have talked about, and I'm, I'm happy to see it. I think he's going to get more playing time as the season progresses, but I, I would, I would hold off on buying yeah. AJ right now because yeah. his stock is so high, and he's yeah. probably going to get a little bit less playing time over the next two, three weeks. Yeah, I think that that's why we're phenomenal at predicting stocks. I would not buy AJ right now, uh, AC, because you know people are probably going to expect him to go out there and knock down three of five threes or whatever in the next game. You could uh, you can honestly see him against Virginia Tech, you know, coming out there and only playing eight to ten minutes and, you know, not having the impact that we saw the last three games. Uh, and, and, and that stock's going to dip. And we're going to we're telling you it's going to hit in the end of January, February. So right now, are you with Jack on that one? Uh, yeah. So we, we talked again. Another thing we've talked about before, we'll just reiterate again in case you missed the last couple podcasts that we did. We said at the end of the non-conference slate, you will see AJ start to play a little bit more and you will see AJ, his production go up because we're playing – we're playing those types of teams, teams that you can you can kind of play around with, run your sets on, do the things you want to do, set up plays for him, because it's not a game you're worried about losing. So now we get into this conference season, and we kind of said this as well. It's when the conference season hits, you'll probably see his production go down a little bit. I don't know that his minutes will go down, because now he's he's kind of in the rotation. I think it would be, it'll do the team and him a disservice to cut his minutes. Yeah. Now, do I think his production goes down slightly? Absolutely. I, I The... the Tougher competition. Now, once again, another learning curve for him. I absolutely think the first few games of the conference slate, while they aren't the most daunting games on our schedule, I do think that we see a dip in, in AJ's production. So I'm with you guys. Right now, hold off on buying that AJ stock. Let let him have this little dip that he's going to have for about a month and and then and catch it before it goes back up. Yeah, I think that's right. And so we're six days away from Christmas. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Recording this podcast. I hope you guys have all done your shopping, but if you haven't, we're going to give you a couple things that you might want to uh, you know, add to your Christmas wish list. Um, <laughs> if I could say wish list, that'd be great. So, um, <laughs> Jack, uh, Jack, uh, what is on your Christmas wish list as it pertains to Duke? I got two things. The first one being those jerseys we're seeing this Wednesday. Tech, those white brother jerseys. My goodness, they are beautiful. I don't know if you guys have seen me on Twitter. I found a photo mm-hmm. last spring. Oh, no. Senior day photo for Buckmeyer and, yep. uh, and Goldwire. Mm-hmm. And the the framed jerseys that they got were white Duke Brotherhood jerseys. Oh, my. It was kind of like an open secret at that oh. point. Like, Yeah, yeah. It was it was hidden in plain sight. I found it. I remember a few months ago people were seeing on saying on Twitter, when are these coming? Mm-hmm. I just posted the photo. Now it's all over Duke Twitter. Oh, Jack's just out here breaking news. I mean, that's what he's 
Okay, that one was just me looking for a game day photo during the ACC tournament, honestly. And I remembered it. But those jerseys making their debut, I assume, based on what we've seen from the official Duke Twitter Mm -hmm. this Wednesday. That I'm so excited to see those. They're beautiful jerseys. I want to see them in action. Now, when it comes to the actual gameplay, I want to see Trevor Keels be a little bit more consistent. He's had some off games. I mean, this week he did not. But he's been... Very hit or miss, really, between this past week and the Kentucky game. He was MIA a few times, and I really I want to see Keels be able to be that consistent guy we know he can be, like he was this week against the ACC competition that we're going to go up against the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, not, not even being greedy there, but, you know, I can't wait for the jerseys. i got to be honest with you. I'm going to be in the building <laughs> all Wednesday against Tech, and, and if, if I may be so humble to tell you that I was in the building when they debuted the blue Brotherhood jerseys. And so it's, it's not a coincidence to see that I'll be in the building again for these ones. Um, but it's not about me, it's about you. And you see, what is on your Christmas wish list? All right, so I got I got two things as well. Number one, my one of mine is, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to take the uh, the jacket approach, go with an off-the-court and on-the-court thing. One thing is going to be, I want to see, I just want Duke fans listening out there right now. I need you to spread the word. I need you to do the same thing as you're listening to this podcast. I, I just need Duke fans to appreciate Jeremy Roach. That's it. I just need you guys to appreciate him because he is the type of guy that is going to help lead you to a championship. And not only that, he's probably here for four years. And if the team is going to be what we what we need to be for John Shire to start out, you need a guy like Jeremy Roach. You need the type of leader, that type yeah. of athlete, everything that he does. He's not Cassius Winston. He's not going to be. But he is the type of player that absolutely will lead your team, and the stats won't show it, but everything he does on the court – just it aids to winning. So that's number one. Number two, I want to see more of the Paolo at the five, AJ at the four, Wendell at the three, Trevor at the two, Jeremy at the one lineup. Not not a starting lineup, not for 40 minute stretches or anything like that. Small stretches with that lineup is going to be devastating for most teams because they can't keep up. There's nothing they can do with that type of lineup. AJ Griffin's already shown he's a phenomenal rebounder between the athleticism, the length, and his positioning actually is really good. Paulo is showing more rebounding skill and ability now, especially because he's done cramping and he's playing full games again. And then you you have our backcourt, which is the best defensive and probably best offensive backcourt in the nation. So you you put that five on the floor, there's absolutely nothing anybody can do. And then you just bring Mark and Theo back in to clean up the pieces and, and play defense the rest of the game. This team becomes unbeatable. They really do. Yeah, and for me, it's, it's uh, a guy that we haven't brought up yet, Joey Three-Piece, uh, Joey Baker, <laughs> Uh, I'd like I'd like to see him continue to play with the confidence that he's playing mm-hmm. with, because even when he misses shots, the guy doesn't let that affect him. And I, I hope that he keeps that same confidence, the you know the same you know aggressiveness that he plays with. I'd like to see him do can that I, because he is, he is an integral part of this team. Can, can I can I offer a new nickname? <laughs> like not a new sure. nickname, but just an, an addendum to the current nickname. He's Joey Three Piece. With all the driving he's doing to the lane, is he now Joey Drive Through too? Um, he, he could be. He could be. Jack, are you going to love it? I I've been calling him Joey Buckets for years. <laughs> Joey Buckets, oh, bucket of chicken, or just buckets like... of chicken. No, he gets <laughs> buckets. He's got buckets of chicken from the Bojangles deal. I mean, uh, can, can, yeah. Now, see, now we're back on like talking about the the chicken supremes and all these things. Okay, so we got to <laughs> wait for more Bojangles. <laughs> all right, so we got a lot on our Christmas wish list, but um, we do open up ACC play. Coming up here on Wednesday night, your boy's going to be in the building. AC, talk us a little bit about the ACC season. 
the ACC is down. <laughs> like, there's another yeah, way to put it. Of, that's like, there's another way to put it. You only have four teams in the ACC that are in the top 40. So that's that's the that's the top. Essentially, what that means at the moment is there's four teams that potentially could get to the tournament. That's not even guaranteed that they all get to the tournament. Then you have another four that falls between 40 and the top 100 in the, and the NCAA. Ridiculous. The ACC has never been this bad. It's been decades since the ACC was this bad. And then, you know, beyond the top 100, there's not even a team outside of the top 100 right now in the ACC that's close to 100 yet. So it's it's pretty ugly. And the only th- it's only going to get ugly because now all these teams are going to be playing against each other. So right. the ACC season actually is probably not going to be a big help for Duke in terms of our strength of schedule and getting us a good seat in the tournament. That's going to be on Duke. We can't we can't drop stupid games. So we just need we need to go into the ACC season as let's take care of business. Let's not get hurt. Let's let's beat these teams down the way we're supposed to understand these tough environments and then move on to the conference tournament. Yeah, Jack, you know, before we hit record on this podcast, you actually brought up something that, you know, you think this is going to be similar to uh, the 99 ACC schedule where, you know, Duke was obviously dominant that year, but, you know, the ACC was also down, but they took care of business, right? So what do you see? 16 and 0. Yeah, exactly. So what do you, I mean, I'm, I'm not predicting 18 and 0 here, but or 20 and 0, whatever it is now. Um, but what are you seeing from from Duke? Do you see any other outside of the the rivalry game at UNC? Do you see any other potential losses for Duke as you see the schedule right now for the ACC? I mean, I'm not ever going to say Duke's going to go undefeated in ACC play. However, what I am going to say is that Duke Duke's playing NC State this year, and you know how that always goes. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I really hope that Duke beats NC State. It's always a possibility that they don't. <laughs> so that's one. There's also always Syracuse who will somehow hit a ridiculous three to either win the game or force overtime, or that will indirectly force overtime. Like there's always those things that just happen in ACC play, regardless of how good Duke is. Those are going to happen. Zion, RJ Cam team could have run through the entire ACC except for like UVA, Florida State, and Carolina, and even they didn't. Yeah, no, I think, so. yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> and I mean, ACC, uh, ACC play is a different beast, uh, even when teams might be down. So AC, we have, you know, three of our last four games of the schedule are all on the road at UVA, at Syracuse, at Pitt. Mm-hmm. All three of those teams, I mean, Syracuse, I guess you could say, might be a pit ball, but UVA stinks. Mm-hmm. Pitt is fucking atrocious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I feel bad for Pitt. Didn't Pitt beat UVA, or was it? It was a one-point game. I can't remember who won. I'd have to look that up. Uh, oh, hold on, I got their schedule right here. Actually, yeah, uh, no, no, UVA. If they played the UVA, won, oh, yeah, UVA yeah. won yeah. by one point. Yeah, I mean, those teams stink. So, and then lost to James Madison. Yeah. Well, obviously, they do. <laughs> Shout out TK. It was a rough weekend for the Dukes. You know, losing against North Dakota State. So, I appreciate a little bit of love there. Um. I'm going to step right. Uh, all right. So, but yeah, you know, obviously, you know, yes, those three games at the end, but I really don't see, other than, you know, the quote unquote at UNC game, you know, on February 5th, I just don't see any game on the schedule that Duke shouldn't win. I mean, I just don't, AC, am, I, am I missing something here? No, no, no. We'll be favored in every single game. I don't, I don't think that's the issue here. I think the biggest issue is. Which, which one of these games are we going to drop? Like, because right, it's right. going to happen. We're going to drop one between classes, between it being a 20 game schedule, all those other things that, all, you know, Duke always has that lull in January, all those things. So the one game 
the two games, I guess I could say, that I have pointed out, and Jack actually brought one of them up. So there's a little three-game stretch where you're at Wake Forest, you got NC State at home, and then you're back at Florida State. That's a that's a a, a tough stretch, not for any any reason other than that is the point in the season where Duke historically shows a little bit of a dip. And at Wake Forest in the early 2000s, it, we could we couldn't win at that place. We won like twice in a whole in the the entire decade from 2000 to 2010 at Wake Forest. And then again, you move into this decade, the 2020 team and the 2014 team, which both lost at Wake Forest against T, a, an unranked Wake Forest team. So I can absolutely see us dropping that game. We don't play well at Wake Forest. It's just one of those things. I don't know why. And then at, against NC State, of course, NC State is playing pretty well, and they they, they are scrappy. They're going to be a team that's going to give us some issues. And then we're playing at FSU. FSU is not they're not great and it's not the typical FSU team you see with Leonard Hamilton, but that's a, it's an away game coming off a little bit of a stretch that could be absolutely difficult. Uh, so let's switch gears to our next game here. We'll do a little predictions here. Obviously we play Virginia Tech Wednesday night, 9 p.m. I hate these Real quick, games. real quick. Did anybody notice that we didn't say anything yep. about fear in UNC? I just want to point that out. It's very fair. <laughs> you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't lose by 30. And then ask me to fear you. So, yeah, pump the brakes. Uh, other than your boy, your main man, Armando Bacot, who's an All-American. Uh, other, than, other than him. Speaking of gross, Virginia Tech, uh, Jack, uh, is there any way in the world that AC can be even remotely non-biased in his prediction of this one? Oh, gosh. <laughs> just, just I'm just happy just the school I go to isn't... <laughs> I'm just happy the school I go to isn't in D1. <laughs> right, right. Look, we gave JMU all this love, and here it goes. Well, you know, JMU's the best program in Virginia, so I'm not No way. Um, uh, anyway. <laughs> Look, I think we can win. I think we win this game pretty, pretty, pretty decisively. Mm-hmm. But that being said, the ACC is going to be competitive even if they suck. <laughs> I saw something on Twitter yesterday. It was like, ACC and the Big 12 are going to be equally competitive this year. It's just that the talent level is going to be such a big gap. And that's certainly possible. It's Duke's conference to lose. But I think Virginia Tech, this game is going to actually be a good indicator of how Duke's going to fare in conference play because they can't play down and they might. All right, AC, take it away here. What do we got with uh, Virginia Tech? Yeah, they, it's a perimeter-oriented team. They have Kevin Luma down low. He's a really he's a good player, but he plays kind of soft, quite honestly. As as someone who who watches Tech basketball, I would love to see him play a little a little tougher down low than he actually does. But so I, this is a good way for for me to see Mark get back into the game now that we had a couple of games where he wasn't the focal point and everything else. Now he's going to get his normal minutes back a little bit in the ACC play, and I, I want to see him go out and and defensively dominate Aluma for Tech. Because then that leads to the perimeter. They're a perimeter-oriented team. And when uh, Hunter Couture and Naheem Aline are on, they're difficult to beat. Because those guys shoot a lot of threes. They play from the outside a lot. They run their dribble handoff series and all that. They're a tough team to guard. But we have the best perimeter defense in the nation. I don't want to hear anybody tell me anything about Baylor. I don't care. I don't care. We have the best team on defense in the nation. And we can put them in a hurt locker just with what we normally do. So... I think that's what we see. I think coming off the week we just had, it would be very odd for us to go into the Virginia Tech game as a team that is struggling or doesn't know how to defend. We're, we're going to beat them. We're not playing in Blacksburg. We're playing at Duke. Tech that usually doesn't fare well in Cameron, and I, I don't see them fare well this game. Fair enough. Uh, so give me a prediction, AC. 
I think we win the game. I think it's going to be somewhere around 80 to 62, 63. Well, that's a little bit lower score than I thought you would go with. Uh, Jack, what do you got? Uh, 86 to 67. Fair enough. All right, I'm liking where we are here. I'm going also 86, 68. So I'm just going to be a little bit different. Jack, I'm, I'm with you on it, though. Uh, I, mean, I think that's, that's what the score is going to be. It's going to be interesting. No, you know, no camera crazies in there other than myself. So we're going to, we're going to have Look, to. You got to bring your own we're energy. We're going to have to bring, bring, it. Energy. bring your own energy. I think that that's right, though, AC. You know, before we let everybody go here, I think that is something, though. You know, it's a couple of days before Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, people are already in that mode. You kind of shoehorn this ACC opener right yep. in there with no fans. You have to bring your own energy, right? Absolutely, because this used to be, you know, in the past, this used to be a non-conference game. This was a game we play against South Carolina State or something going into the new year. So it's a little bit different now. We have this twenty-game ACC schedule. So yeah, the fans need to help bring energy for this team because we don't need that place dead for an ACC opener against a team that chances are is one of the few representatives in the NCAA tournament for the ACC. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Do pass to bring their own energy. We got to play hard. 40 minutes really kind of set the tone for the rest of the ACC season. Let them know who they're dealing with. Let's go Duke. Let's go Duke. Let's go Duke. Thank you for tuning in to the Five Point Play Podcast, the number one Duke fans podcast. Check us out at Instagram at Five Point Play Podcast. That's the number Five Point Play Podcast. And on Twitter, Five Point Play Podcast. Go Duke.